you like conversation on a variety of topics? Feel like no one wants to talk about the things that interest you? Tired of only hearing the same political, sports, or catastrophe talk? Yeah, we feel that way too. Join two high-functioning geeks as they discuss just about anything under the sun. We can't tell you what we'll be talking about each week because we don't know where our brains will take us. It will be an interesting conversation, though, so hang on and join us. Here comes the Relentless Geekery. You are much more festive than I am. Pretty boring today. I had my Think shirt on earlier, but uh, I actually took a shower and I got ready for the world, so here I am. So how's life been? How have you, things been going? Uh, so good. I'm I'm home now. You know, I, when when last we uh, casted, I was still in California dealing with uh, the aftermath of my father having passed away, and um, things are very stable. We did uh, a ton of stuff. You know, that, again, kind of trying to find the geek component. It's uh, it's amazing how much um, legal stuff there is involved. You know what I mean? To be able to declare someone dead to the world and then the ripple effects that that creates when you inform the employer they inform social security they inform whoever your 401k holder is in this case uh, vanguard and so um we didn't try to conceal anything but we were kind of trying to do the phased rollout if you will that we knew who we were going to be talking to and make sure that we had our documents ready and for instance getting a death certificate is really a matter of like a governmental body that really does say, yes, he's gone. So it's a matter of not only examining the body, but the mortuary vouches for it and whatever else it might be. Um, here's a really geeky thing I learned. Um, so my dad's last will and testament asks that he and my mom both be cremated. You know, my mom is still alive, but he was going to be cremated. Right. As my older brother was going through, there's a, a sheaf of papers that you have to sign to say, yes, you um, received him, if you will, when the police found him there there who took receipt he was in cold storage wasn't going to be embalmed because there wasn't a need for a showing we we're going to do cremation and then somewhere in the papers he saw mention of hydrolysis i have never heard of that before um apparently that's a process it's been around for a long time like since the 1880s where they kind of under pressure break a body apart with water you know just like a body gets loose in the water on all those cop shows um well, that's interesting too because I shared like, and I felt, oh my gosh, this the timing. Um, you know, we talk about the synchronicities at times. Um, there was a company that just started something like that, uh, offering it, and they were talking about the environmental impact and how both uh, burying people and cremation, how bad it is for the environment, and how this is an extremely environmental friendly alternative. It really is a green thing. Um, one thing I learned, you know, it's alkali hydrolysis. And, and that makes sense. You know, whenever they show like, I don't know, on Breaking Bad, that they're going to put a body in a bathtub and dissolve it with acid, that doesn't work anywhere near as well as like lye, quicklime. You know what right. I mean? That's what they really have traditionally put on a body in the grave. And that ages, ages the whole like degenerative or decomposition process is a better way to put it. Well, we then specified, you know, since my dad specifically said cremation and my parents knew enough about alternatives, green and otherwise, it was like, well, even if the process kind of is the same, what it does is kind of remove the flesh, leaves the bones. The bones are what gets still burnt, cremated, and that becomes the cremains. And so in the overall, it wasn't like we were going to get 
you know, a bag of wet goo, you know what I mean? Which was my first thing. Is yeah. like, I kind of want it to be like ashes, siftable or whatever. Like right. that. It turns out that the final step is still that burning bones, but of course it's much less bones being burnt. The, you know, I don't know how much percentage of your body, your bones are 30%, something like that. I wish I was more anatomically aware, <laughs> but that's what gets done and you still get cremains and all that kind of stuff. But it just was, I don't know, even that that thought of, wow, it seems to be equivalent and it is greener. My parents might have gone for it, but you know, they said in their will and I want to abide by their wishes, even though he's not anywhere to to be proud of the fact that we did as he requested. Right. You know what I mean? So it just was, as, as you look through the various different documents, it's amazing the level of detail and how much you have to it wasn't contentious. It wasn't like we were being tricked or anything like that, but it really is. You have to get down to a level of detail anytime that there's anything legal that ordinary life just doesn't require. You know what I mean? Everybody just does 90% good enough, et cetera, et cetera. But when you start dealing with the law and not only the police who found him, but the mortuary who accept all that kind of stuff and, and all the things now of you, most places you need a death certificate in order to be able to move forward with yeah. my mom is the inheritor but she's um uh, advanced alzheimer's so she's not capable of making decisions for herself so the whole point of getting my dad taken care of and moving towards yes he really is declared dead was so that we could my, my older brother being the executor of the estate will also be the conservator of her and that's even there's a distinction there that i really didn't have to be aware of up until now and so i don't know it it um learning all about the facility that she's in that my dad had kind of taken care of in the selection and the choices and then finding out well now we really have to be aware of what the standard of care is and and making sure my mom is safe and and fine and from all all signs it really is that way there's no signs of elder abuse the facility is nice and clean and smells nice and the people seem nice and stuff like that but boy having someone like really in your hands it's a whole different level. Like I, I haven't had children. I've never known what it is like to have a true dependent. You know what I mean? You, you have. So yeah. it, it's been, I, I never mind learning new things, learning new things under time pressure, <laughs> learning new things where the, the possibility of a mistake, the, the, the damage could be high. It was stressful, yeah. you know, but I, then I also read recently about, you know, stress that comes as a challenge instead of as a constant cortisol induced panic mode. That's its own thing. And so I guess we did a lot of communication between the brothers. We talked to all the right people, of course, in the era of COVID, and you can't just say, hey, we'll stop by your office. You know, there's all kinds of um, impact like that. And, and in the overall, I think that we're now in a good place where the house is stable. We'll be going to make sure that it gets cleared out and cleaned out and, and ready for sale. In the middle of all this, my older brother was selling his house, his own house, and so that's a level of stress times, you know, not, not doubled, but quadrupled. I'm sure there's a wow. geometric factor there. You know <laughs> what I mean? It just, it's, you know, the, the, the inconvenience, the nerve of my father having died at an inconvenient time. <laughs> and, but when oh, is it ever really convenient? You know, well, you always run into that, you know, it, it, it's just an interruption. I, it, I mean, I know this sounds callous, but it's an interruption to everyone's lives and you Absolutely. don't want to, there's nothing really great about it you know yeah. it's honestly you know of course we've had uh, uh, i don't know i maintain a sense of humor kind of all the time even though it might be dark humor and stuff like that but i'm aware that i'm under stress because i can tell how often i like 
tear up or have a reaction or have an overreaction, that's different than my usual, you know, and even in everything and dealing with my brothers and dealing with Colleen and dealing with me, like I, I made a little post of there's, it's so interestingly nice to me how much it mattered that I got home. It was like, my bed is just right. And the, the, the temperature in the room and the darkness of the room is right where I really wasn't sleeping a lot out in California. I never seem to have acclimated to their West coast time. I've never had that happen before. Usually like one overnight and then I'm on their schedule. But instead, I was continually waking up at like five in the morning, you know, eight o'clock here. And and I guess it was good because that way I always had that time in the morning to do my spreadsheets and think of what's got to happen for the day and, and you know, clean the kitchen, whatever it was that I was contributing. You know, everybody kind of went to their, their natural stuff. And I, and I guess I realized I'm very much a natural organizer. I have the ability to juggle a whole bunch of balls and not drop any. And other people might pr prefer... Um, task-oriented type stuff, you know, get get this wall cleared or get the mailbox replaced or whatever else it might be. So it was a learning opportunity for all of us. And and that still now, you know, there's how many things am I going to be thinking of my father? I'm watching the Olympics. And I remember like watching the Olympics with my parents growing up. You know, that, that, that's kind of funny. That's one of the most constant things in my life. I remember going back to like 64. You know what I mean? I was five years old, I guess. And and it's just, you know, and even more memorably, 68 with uh, Beeman breaking a record and the Fosbury flop. I think it was 60, maybe 72, and the, the you know, um, power salute and stuff like that. But that was a constantly shared thing with my parents all the time I was growing up. And so, of course, while I'm watching, I'm like, wow, I can hear vo their voices in my head of commenting on, you know, with their their favorite countries, you know what I mean? Their home countries and how I still have a, a, a warm spot for Germany and Lithuania, because that's where they're from. Anyway, and their favorite events and whatever else it might be. So I'm going to have his voice in my head forever. You know what I mean? All those little, what would dad do kind of a things. And boy, he would really appreciate this. And this was his favorite meal and whatever. And in that case, I won't be having that because one of his favorite meals was liver and onions. <laughs> and so it's like, you know, have we talked about that? No. That my dad would make a point of eating out because my mom couldn't stand to make it. She couldn't stand to touch organ meat. That's so like funny. when we made giblets gravy from the turkey, I was always the one that kind of took charge of that because it didn't weird me out as much as it did her. But sometime in the army or young life, he really developed a taste for liver and onions. And it's kind of funny. Now we know organ meat. Oh my God, that's the filtration system. That's got heavy metals in it. There's a lot of reasons not to do it. But once in a while, we'd go to a fancy restaurant and what he wanted more than anything else was that taste. Isn't that interesting? You know, and, yeah. and it, there wasn't the smell in the house where my mom having had to do it. It was really a treat for him, <laughs> you know? So, oh, well, oh, well. So well, uh, sorry, I'm kind of babbling. I'm, you know, I'm sure. No, no. You know, it's, uh, <laughs> it, it, it's one of those things. Everyone has to deal with that at some point, uh, you know, and like you said, he wasn't 50, you, you know, you're not 20. So it's, it, and again, it sounds callous just to say it, but it's an expected thing. It's part of life. Everyone, you know, expects at one point your parents are going to pass on. And every parent is like, please don't let my kids die while I'm so alive. That's the worst, you know, kids. And I said this before, I know people get upset about it, but I'm like, when you're a kid, at some point in your adult life, you realize my parents are going to die before me. There's going to be a time in my life without them. If you don't realize that, you probably have a much harder time when it happens. 
you know, so it's just one of the, and, and saying it, oh my God, people go like, you know, it's that mortuary uh, humor uh, that people just can't handle at times. <laughs> exactly. Uh, you know, it's kind of funny, you know, I, I've come up with, you know, what's the phrase? It was like, um, not unexpected, but still a surprise. Yes. You know, there's a thing about, you know, as you live longer, every year you live longer, the odds of you living even longer after that go up. You know, you show that you have whatever the genetics and the hardiness that you're making it through. And so my parents are both 89. They lived a very good life, you know, to see most of a century. That's just an amazing Think of living from 33 on and being like, they made it as the depression was ending and the world was shifting. They made it through World War II. They made it through immigrating to a new country and building a new life. The incredible changes in radio, going to television, going to the internet, going, you know what I mean? That, that, yeah. and just, and what's cool, you know, one of the joys of um, my father really prepared, instead of it being a, an incredible treasure hunt and archeological dig to try to figure out all of their affairs, he was canny enough. He was computer savvy enough that so many things you could get into the accounts and there, you know, all of his names and passwords were, you know, in the keys to the kingdom file and that kind of stuff. And of course, that inspires me to have created a keys to the kingdom file. I, I, my name, not his, but you know what I mean? That I would like it to be that whenever Colleen and I pass away, uh, you know, knock on wood, not for another 100 years, um, you know what I mean? As nanotech, you know, kicks in and stuff yeah. like that, it, it, I would like it to be that it's not terrible for my successors, my survivors, that instead, you know, a little bit of Swedish death cleaning, a little bit of keeping my affairs in order, your passwords are available, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. E even in death, they're setting a good example of, wow, this is so much easier than it has been from any number of stories that I've heard of where it was just totally unknown where things were. Do they have a safe deposit box? Don't know. They had too many accounts, multiple banks, which is the main one. All of that, where are their investments? Are there any investments? You know what, where's the deed to the house and to the car and whatever else it might be? Wow. See, now, now you're making me think, I mean, my geek brain uh, to get things ready for the kids at some point, uh, I, I need to start doing things like changing the passwords to like 57 characters of all random numbers and stuff and then make the very last thing they go look at uh make the password like don't you wish the rest of them were this easy or something like that <laughs> little things yeah. like that so it is kind of a treasure hunt but uh yep that's you know like yeah of course he did that type thing right one uh, this is kind of funny i i think i mentioned you know i i have pretty secure passwords they're relatively long and they're often based on um song lyrics or something that is obscure enough my dad used like Lithuanian words and German words. Yeah, that's what you, you said. You know what I mean? Like, who, who's going to be mentioning well, like this is the place that my, that he and my mom met? And you'd have to. And it wasn't that he then. Oh, I'll go take one of those uh, clickbait quizzes and give it all up. It really was interesting to see kind of how his mind worked and what was important to him and would be memorable to him and, and savvy enough stuff. to think of that. That's awesome. Exactly. Exactly. It's kind of like the uh, Navajo wind talkers from World War II. The code. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean. It, it, it's especially. Lithuanian, I mean, it, there's maybe place names and so forth because the Lithuanian alphabet is Cyrillic. It doesn't all translate into the Roman alphabet, if you will. And so automatically, there's a little bit of German. You know, how do you portray an umlaut or an set in? But but it was just, I don't know. It, it's one of those things like I want to take a note of him and say, so what did that place name? You know what I mean? Like, I know that Kaunas is where he was born and Vilnius is the capital where I think he went to school. But 
every other one of those things, I think it is local. That's where he met mom, and that's where he emigrated to the United States, and all those kinds of things. It's we. I think I. I um, he at one point had um, written a memoir uh, uh, about. And maybe I've talked about this before. I'm. I'm sorry. I sometimes repeat myself. They were displaced persons. You know what I mean. Lithuania was, and it was one of the countries just caught between the Russian and the German forces. And so there's all kinds of terrible stories about getting, getting, running back and forth, getting out of the line of fire with armies around, families getting separated, etc. He was on a train in Dresden that got pulled out of the city, and no one really knows why, before the firebombing hit. You know, like Slaughterhouse Five, Kurt Vonnegut, you know, Dresden as a city was a, a beautiful place and it ceased to be. It was firebombed down to the ground, and Vonnegut only survived because he was like in a, a meat locker, if I remember correct. You know, a, a facility underground that survived the, the the incredible devastation. And that's how it was for my dad. If that train hadn't been pulled out, and some people chose to stay, and they didn't make it. So, you know, why are me and my brothers here? Because happenstance whoever got word whatever lucky thing happened to get that train just outside of the the zone uh, of dresden that they survived it's i mean there's huge i'm sure that many many people who went to the war have terrible stories like that my mom's parents were separated for like 10 years while they found each other wow you know it just it, it's amazing to think of that the that level of disruption and and yet they made it and started in the united states you know started in chicago you know worked on learning English. You know, my dad was actually a polyglot. He spoke multiple languages because when you have to learn to speak Russian, because the Russians are around, you get real good at it real quick. <laughs> and same with German and same with well, English. You know, <laughs> that, that kind of just proves, you know, things happen for a reason because they, they needed to be on that train to get out for the sole purpose that we're here to make the podcast. That that had to be the only reason. <laughs> yeah, exactly. In my solipsistic, the universe exists because I do. Right. Yeah, that's the right way to look that's at it. That's gotta be it. <laughs> and, and it's kind of funny because uh, Gina had like a lot of deaths. Four people in her family died last year. None from COVID, but from wow. many other things and bad things. I, I mean, there was a suicide. There was a homicide. There was cancer. And then there was just getting old, wearing out. So it, it was very devastating. And the, the year it was very difficult for her. And one of the people was her father, who I didn't get to know tons. But let's. this is, was one of my introductions to my father-in-law. Mm -hmm. is he sent a note about something. I forget what it was, uh, but he made sure to go and get a doctor's prescription pad for Cialis. He said, just in case you need that also. That was my introduction to my father-in-law. And, and well, my hilarious. I met her. Thinking we, of you. Yeah, we were at Sarah's uh, graduation party and we were eating at the restaurant. We sat down and Gina was next to me with her mom there. And she's like, mom, this is Steve. I'm like, hi, how you doing? She goes, hi. She reaches around Gina, slides her hand down into my shirt and rubs my chest. And I'm like, hello, how are you doing? That, so that was my in-laws. Okay. So every now and then. She will get mad at me or something, or I'll do something or say something. And she gives me a look. I'm like, you know what? Your father would think that's funny. She's like, damn you. He would and he, she's always like, you, you got to say that because he absolutely would say that he would do that. He, and 
and I know sometimes people will like, well, how can you joke about her father? He's dead because he would appreciate it. And just be, it's part of the we I mean, if you try not joking like that is more forgetting him, in my opinion, you know, I'm keeping him alive more. And, you know, he appreciates that or what, you know, so I, I think I know I know it sounds bad, but sometimes I think we're too down. Oh, someone died and we can't ever talk about them. We can't. I don't want that. I told my kids, I don't want that. Remember the fun stuff. Joke. Exactly. You That's know? very much what I want for mine is the celebration of life. You know what I mean? Tell your favorite story where we just roll down the floor laughing. Tell, tell where we did something that we just had an adventure, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. I don't want it to be somber. I want it to be it, it that, you know, my time on earth made a lot of other people happy. Let's, let's do that. Let's share that. Cool Agreed. stuff. You know what I mean? So and I always joke with Gina uh, whenever like bad weather and she wants me to run out to the store or something. I'm like, you upped my insurance again, didn't you? Well, <laughs> joke that she's upping the health insurance and putting me in predicaments. To- <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, Hey, uh, also you mentioned passwords. I'll do a little quick aside geekery on the passwords. So I use one of those vaults that stores all your passwords uh, right. to get to, you know, secured vault type thing. Uh, they have part of their program that they will generate uh, passwords for you. And it has been 12 characters, random, uh, upper, lowercase symbols, numbers, you know, a little bit of everything randomly. Well, they just recently did an update and now it's 16 by default. So they're, you know, things are moving beyond just making a six or eight character password. Honestly, mine's been like 30 for a long time. You know what I mean? I have a like a like I said a certain character string and some embedded capitals versus that. I have um, that what they always ask for. You know, special characters, a number, that kind of stuff. It um, I'm proud of my number string because it's one of those things that I don't think anybody would ever guess it. It's not the obvious. Oh, Al's birthday, Al's graduation, when they got married. It's none of those things. It really is like memorable to me and to the rest of the world. They'd be where did that come from? So I'm hoping that that's. A little ace in the hole in that way. Right. Um, I, Apple has, you know, in, as part of their same thing, their their password storage. They also generate keywords, and I think that theirs are sixteen, if I remember right. But they the everything about passwords says if you're going to use them, the longer the better. It doesn't yeah. even matter necessarily the scattering of characters. You know, dictionary attack is only the first thing when you've got things now that can do a trillion transactions in a second or whatever like that. You just need to be. How do you get it so that that act of factoring primes takes the longest that it possibly can? And I, I know I'm terribly mixing between real technologies and you know cryptography and that, but that's I've tried to make it so that I have maybe because I'm good at song lyrics. I, I know exactly what it says. I don't have a question of whether it's a or the, you know what I mean? And and that just kind of flows out of my fingertips nowadays. Yeah. And that's, oh no, hey, everyone who's looking to break into Al's systems, the only <laughs> thing that's bad is I don't know that I have unique passwords everywhere. I have, for my big main accounts, they're separate, but I have certain ones that I've reused foolishly. I know you're not supposed to do that, but there's overhead associated with that. And I, yeah. I if ever, I, another cool thing that's happened lately is multiple browsers and maybe even like password utilities, like OnePass or LastPass and that kind of stuff, they actually will search the web for you and look for data breaches and where yours was one of the ones exposed, or they'll look for, you know, you've got a password that you set 20 years ago on AOL when it was 
six, eight, ten characters, and that's out in the wild now. So yeah. you should go change it here. And in fact, all these other places that you might not remember you used it. You know, you went to a magazine um right. price search site and their security is for shit. You know what I mean? We're not right. talking about Vanguard or Amazon. We're talking about kind of a server in a back room of a of a stripper strip mall or something right. like that. And mine so. mine even will say uh, this isn't very secure. We found uh, 29 other people out on the web that have used this password. So, wow. you know, it makes you go, oh, and you're, you're right. I mean, sometimes there's something on my phone or especially if I'm in Linux and I'm doing something, I'm like, I don't want to because I have to the program I use to store doesn't have a Linux client. So I, okay. I, I didn't have to transfer it. But if I'm not anywhere, I'm like, uh, so I've done that, too. But every time I pull mine up, it says red alert, you know, these 63 passwords need attention immediately. So every now and then I go through and I'll change those, update them, make sure it's all stored and it reduces that. Uh, so it really, those really do help. And honestly, if that company goes out of business or something, I'm in trouble. If I can't remember the main password i'm in trouble because it's right. all there you know <laughs> and they're all different every password my kids complain so often what's the amazon password and i copy it and send it to them they're like how am i going to remember that i'm like you're not supposed to that's the right. idea that's, that's the point exactly <laughs> i read long ago way back in the birth of computing there was a really cool guy named phil zimmerman who invented pgp yes. pretty good privacy and his theory was you know it's it's important to have everybody have access to encryption for security for privacy for being able to prove your identity and so forth and to make it as seamless as possible and all kinds of like password saving sites and so forth they learned good uh, um practices from seeing what pgp did and then i think gpg which was the um open source version of yeah that. yeah there's also a great book by bruce schneier multiple great books one i think one called beyond security if i remember right but he talks about the the why you the longer is better and the psychology of it and how you know in the era of quantum computing like we're going to have to move away from passwords and get into biometrics and things that are you have to have your phone or a token of some kind yep. they've tried various different things where to get that level of security and privacy and, and identity verification um we're going to have to move away from things that just you can throw enough computing power at it that you really can break and you probably have seen the chart right depending on how many digits it goes from it'll take 24 years to break it to 10 years to two years to two fucking minutes right you know what i mean that if they want to break into you so that's and i just saw that like bitcoin which is one of the biggest longest encryption and it takes normal computers days weeks hours or months to to do this encryption where they said within the next 10 years we'll have quantum computers that can break it within a minute they're they're working on everything about blockchain is based on good security and indeed that's how are we going to get ahead of that so that they that's a fascinating topic you know maybe maybe that's one of the things i have to do like a good mensa talk about is that not only the history of how we got here but what are the things that are being looked at in the future and that already as you know you know thumbprints they're getting away actually from touch id because apparently that's relatively easily stuntable then it's face id then it's face id with a mask on there's it's not really typing something it's the cadence by which you type that it's going to start tracking you know when i go da, 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 that that it really needs to match within a close enough parameters that it's you typing it not just someone typing it in right. so there i love that 
And I really do love it. The battle back and forth between the white hats and the black hats, you know, the good guys and the bad guys as to they keep up in the ante and these guys break it. And then it's very cool if there's any place where human ingenuity and human greed have played together. Like, you know, why are you willing to throw so much um, computing resources at this? Well, because you can get the keys to the kingdom. What if I take over the social security server? What if I get into, you know, and get rooted Amazon? And I, I'm, I'm talking bullshit. There's all kinds of things in place that physical security still yeah. matter more than, but it's there. There's also, there's that, there's, it's the bear theory, right? I don't have to be perfectly secure. I just have to be secure, more secure than all the people that have password as their password. <laughs> right. So, you know what I mean? It, the, the, the low hanging fruit, as long as I take myself two and three and four and, and, above that, it's just not worth their time because they've got so many other pigeons out there. That right. They can, oh, and that's know, the thing. So <laughs> I've been I've been watching these videos um, about the scammers. Honestly, there's probably less people out there trying to crack through passwords and that because it is so much work for such little gain. Whereas they're finding the the social aspect social is much more lucrative and easier, and they can trick people to like you said a little bit ago filling out hey this quick little quiz on facebook yeah, pass it to your you friends like? yeah That's or funny. calling them on the phone or sending them emails you know you get the emails now and i get all the time people are like hey is this real or is it fake um did you buy something from them well no then it's fake don't click it right. don't answer it you know <laughs> um but the malware the the ransomware the scammers talking on the phone you know all those are big so it's kind of funny that it's just too much work and people don't understand that the social aspect is where they get a lot of the you know break into stuff exactly give them permission yeah that that's you know gosh in the same way that we've talked about you know what you go to school for is not only reading writing and arithmetic they started to add like social things like how to cook or how to do you know back when when people really did do working with wood and metal you really wanted to have some hands-on experience Nowadays, of course, they should be having like a class in civics, so you know how you as a citizen work. And of course, they should have it all about computers. They have um, all the extension courses that we get regular catalogs from Lakewood that say, here's all the things that are being offered. And it's not just pottery, it is um, computer security for elders. Here's how to use Excel or Word or the Microsoft suite. Here's how to just be on, go online and be safe. That's absolutely for the people that really want to have those things but didn't grow up with it you know they're, they're i don't know these kids nowadays are really like wonderful and fearless with how they do everything on their phone and they really are aware of how social media works and stuff like that that is not the case with people who were a little scared of computers in the first place and now there's so much in the world that you you have to like you can't run your tv without logging right. on to netflix or roku or amazon or whatever else right it so it's I don't know, maybe I'll, I'll end up being one of those teachers, you know what I mean? It's not to make money. It's more like, hey, world, I know a, a certain amount about this, and I think that I can explain it in a way that it isn't meant to be techno-priest garbage, you know, jargon and stuff like that. So maybe that's something I should offer to Lakewood just for my, or to, you know, I don't know, I... It's kind of funny. Why am I looking to be busier? But, but <laughs> because you know, to, I'm I'm good at it because I'm good at explaining and I'm good at those things in particular. You know, yeah. what I mean? so anyway. it's, you mentioned the the school and stuff. I, I did um, the talk I've been mentioning. I did it twice on Saturday down in Cincinnati, um, okay. and I did the uh, workshop with the kids on Sunday. 
both went very well, but it was interesting to get some of the pushback from a couple of the parents uh, when I'm talking about how things have changed, how our kids can't go get jobs at McDonald's, you know, and I even mentioned, I'm like, when was the last time you had a kid pump your gas and check your oil at the gas station? Which uh, there's like a standard start off job. Exactly. Yeah. You yeah. know, they, they have disappeared. And uh, I'm talking about all the options that kids have now and how they they're in control and how that's actually more secure than going to work for somebody. There's, you know, I personally went to work one day, was told we're downsizing. You were the last one hired. You're gone. I had no control over that. And it wasn't because yeah. I wasn't good. And I've had more control since then. And I just got pushback from a couple people. I mean, the one guy said, there's no way I want my kids to be driving Uber for a job. And I don't want these piecemeal jobs where they never know where their paycheck's coming from. And I didn't even have to defend it. Some of the other parents said, what Chime do you mean? Yeah. That, that, that they, They're like, you don't get this. I, they said, I know people with a master's degree that were lucky to get a job at Walmart and, you know, and things like that. They're like, this is an option we didn't even know is possible. And I said, and the kids can start doing these skills. The, the video game storytelling, this one girl was doodling while I was talking and I looked at the picture. I said, okay, that's it you're an artist for video games. And she looks at me, I says, they need people to do art. And her mother's like, really? I'm like, yeah, start building a portfolio. She's 13. By the time she's 18, she could have a portfolio of drawings. She could have, have uh, you could get on NFTs. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, she could exactly. get on Fiverr, have her mom set up an account on Fiverr and she could start drawing things for people for five, 10 bucks. She could start offering there's companies in Cincinnati that do mobile games. She could do art for some of that. And as an intern or something, get the experience. I said, believe me, at 18, if she does some of this stuff now because she loves drawing, she can say, look, I've earned this much working on Fiverr. I've done this for this video game. I, here's my portfolio right. of things. Every one of those things builds your portfolio. Exactly. Yeah. Legitimacy. Yeah. That's right. No video game company out there is going uh, we want somebody with a four-year degree to come and program for us. They want, how much experience do you have? That's right. So, yeah. you know, and I, again, I'm not saying don't go to college, but I tried to get through this guy's head that this is where the future is and gives kids a better chance. And the kids that would drop out of school, drop out of college, the kids that are troubled and don't see a future. You know, we hear all those uh, schools that, uh, the kids, the the dropout rate, the gangs, the the problems that the parents are all on welfare, or whatever. You've got areas like that, and these kids are like, I see no future. I'm going to join that gang. They give me money in my pocket right now. Well, look, you can code a video game. You have a future. Psychologically, right. doesn't that seem like it would be something that could be good? Work all so plug yourself. By the way, what's the name of the course that you've been teaching? You know what I mean. It really would be. This sounds like something that it shouldn't only be in Cincinnati. It should be everywhere, and you should do it. So. Yeah, I'm working on that. And actually, uh, you mentioned Lakewood a while back, uh, so that was one of my on my added to my list of places to target to, <laughs> to teach at. And I was actually going to talk to you and see if uh, a monthly camp meeting needs a speaker at some point. Uh, they they do sure it. do. In fact, I they I think that even in March, like next month, they're currently hurting for a speaker. And so if you're whatever the last Wednesday is, you might want to get in contact with yeah. Bob, who is our current programming chair. She, she would probably love to have you. 
Yeah. Okay. So, so yeah. the two I teach and they're connected are uh, right now, these are the titles that could change, but supercharge your kids teaching parents what they can do now to prepare their kids for the workforce later. Uh, okay. You know, they're not going to work McDonald's, you know, those jobs are disappearing. They've got, man, Taco Bell is doing an experiment. I don't know if you saw this a while back. I think it's New Mexico, where when you drive up, they don't have an inside. I mean, we've how many places don't do inside eating at all anymore? Exactly. So you drive up to the little speaker and essentially Siri is there talking to you to take your order. Okay. It's, you know, some AI and that AI then sends the order to a burger making machine, which puts stuff all together and spits it out the slot. There's one guy sitting in there reading the newspaper Making sure, make sure the machine doesn't need refills yeah. of whatever juices. Okay. Right. So that's the type of thing that, you know, if that exists, why are they hiring people with all the problems they've been having with you must raise our, you know, it's just the reality. Minimum wage customers pulling a gun, all of that. Yeah. Who wants to work a minimum wage Joe job. Anymore? Yeah. And one lady even said a friend of hers, their son when he was a senior because you know sometimes when you're senior you have more free time you get uh study halls or you don't have to take these classes or whatever because you're ahead of the curve on that and all that so he would go out in DoorDash in between classes and wow. saved up enough money uh his senior year that he bought a car i i, I i've not <laughs> heard of that before that's an incredible i mean it's kind of funny i always think well don't distract yourself from school but He's on top of it. Yeah. That's cool. So okay. anyway, but that's that class. And then the, the associated one is more for kids um, because when everyone says, oh, I want to make video games, what do they think of? Coding, programming. Right. But as There's you all know. Kinds of things. There's story and art and all the production aspects as if making a movie. They're, they need gaffers and key grips. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, like, okay. So, you know, you can look into being a fluffer, but that's totally different talk. <laughs> um, so, uh <laughs> But I, I was telling them, and that's when I told her, I said, they, they don't need everybody to program. If you program, great, but they need people to write stories. Writing, being a hired as a game writer for stories, that job has only existed for about 10 years. The guys I've interviewed for my podcast, they said, yeah, 10, 12 years ago is when it started coming about. So you don't get degrees for it. You, you, you got to have the experience. You got to you know, so that's right. the thing. And then the new talk I'm working on uh, is, and I, again, this is all just being worked on now. Uh, working title is Tomorrow's Young Entrepreneurs Today. Okay. Basically tying that in again, here's things kids can do right now that are jobs, earning money, you know. Okay. And, and plus, parents are always worried. You know, I my Gina's niece worked at Subway and they got held up at gunpoint. She got shot. So your parents worry about that. And I understand. Mm -hmm. uh, absolutely. Okay. Well, here, let me tell you, your kid can draw, they can work and make a video game and they're not getting shot at In the safety of their home. You yes. Know, conditions, no commute, et cetera, et cetera. Yep. It's, I'll, I'll tell you, uh, your, all your things sound great. I mean, it really is what, whatever that thing is about, trying to pass along not just you know, the wisdom of the elders, but like, here's the state of the world. Here's, you know, you don't have to embrace all of it. We have to be aware that it's out there and that you can make use of it or you can get kind of swept aside, get swamped by it, whatever yes. else it might be. I think that all those classes are 
it isn't, oh, now I have exactly the formula for how to do it, but everybody's going to come out of there with ideas, with energy. You know what I mean? Like one of the wonderful things about being a teacher is you don't know the seed you plant until 40 years down the road. Right. Where saying, I had this great teacher named Mrs. Nerney, and she was, you know, formative in in making me a better person and you know i am who i am today because of this great history teacher or great math teacher or whatever yeah. else it might be so you about using technology to have a better life about entrepreneurship and the the self-discipline that has to go with that you're hitting an interesting sweet spot as we move towards that there's no more work 40 years and get a gold watch you know what i mean that's a, i say that exact <laughs> thing that's exactly what i say <laughs> And my mother was the last person I knew that worked at the same job for 45 years. For all of his life. Exactly like that. You know, so it, I, I hope that you, as the world reopens, and as you know, it's not only so much you and I both get satisfaction out of personal speak, you know, speaking and stuff like that. That sounds like something you could also do. Hey, a nice little Zoom thing with, you know, 30 faces, you know, the Brady Bunch kind of a thing and stuff like yeah. that. I've had an okay time doing those kinds of things, you know, some live and some this, it, uh, I'm, I, hats off, hats off to you. I hope that you. this works out really well. So, okay. yeah. And, uh, I'm tying it kind of all together with the books, uh, coming out with that, you know, I'm coming yeah. out with study guides for teachers and homeschool parents. Uh, that's a focus on helping kids to write to write better, to write stories. Cause again, oh my gosh, I forgot to tell you, I, I got to do this. Did you see the, the thing on uh, Facebook about the little eight-year-old that got his book into the library? No, no, no. How did oh, I miss this? Oh my gosh. Yes. This eight-year-old kid wrote a story. Um, okay. It's Dylan's Christmas story by Dylan himself, something like okay. that. And <laughs> okay. he wanted other people to read it. Who doesn't when you write a story? Sure. So he took it to the library and put it on the bookshelf for people to check out, not That's understanding cool. everything, but that but he did it. You gotta get the number and the little spine thing and all yeah. that. Okay. Better. The but library discovered it. Yes. Uh, they found okay. out about it. They're putting it in the system. There's something like a two year waiting list for the book now. That's and sweet. I talked to the library because, you know, you and I are, you just start thinking of things. I'm like, so why don't libraries put a bookshelf where young kids can write a book and get it put on the shelf for people to check out. Exactly. And I talked to the library and they said, they laughed. They said, yeah, we're actually working on that already. So now I'm going to approach my local library and say, what do we need to do to make this project happen? I already did exactly. some talks at the Rotary. So if we need some money, let's go talk to the Rotary. Let's get some money. Let's get some donations. Let's get a shelf and kids can write books and get them exactly. put in the library and get them cataloged and get their ISBN number and and and, and it can make in in the print on demand world if it's like flying off the shelves and there's a two-year wait how about having 10 copies and that'll shrink that weight yes down. yeah so very cool so yeah but i i've got his mom's email and i'm going to contact her and mm -hmm. see about interviewing him for my podcast very good man that'd be that an eight-year-old that's very very cool yeah <laughs> I will also say this, some of my best talks that I've given at, at tech conferences and at Mensa and stuff like that are, it wasn't just, hey, you know, there's the, the old saw that says, if you can't do, teach. You know, I've never been only an academic, I've been in the trenches. And so then when you talk about, here's a trading system that I've developed using genetic algorithms and here's how they work. And here's, you know, how I, how I gather data. And I had to do data cleansing because even from big data sources, there's all kinds of crap out there. And I think it's important to be able to like 
to the people who are looking to learn something, it gives you automatic credence when you can actually tell war stories. Here's how I came to this. Here's a real world problem I had yes. to solve. It's not just the rarefied, oh, well, you know, the way one writes an SQL square query is like this. It's like, no, I had to get this to work within a certain amount of time because that was their production cycle. And so you had to write a better, less expensive, as they say, SQL query and stuff right. like that. And I don't know, I uh, you also have that when you're talking about being an entrepreneur, working, you know, kind of like multiple jobs and seeing multiple balls in the air and seeing which one gets hot and then moving on with that. And you know what I mean? You've been, I think, very experimental and very much responding to market demand and what am I most enjoying and all right. those things. And that's how you, it, it isn't only doing it. It's like teaching people, what are you thinking while you're doing it? You know what I mean? Do you listen to music or not? And, and that seems trivial, but some of my best, we've laughed about it. Some of my best productive writing is when I put on something instrumental that doesn't interfere with my words, but somehow there's energy that you get imbued with. And it's like, dun, dun, Osric Tentacles, thank you again. I'm just cruising along. You know what I mean? It's yeah. The so, Matrix soundtrack is like that for me. Like that. Exactly. Exactly. So, all right. You mentioned a couple of things you've watched and read it. Uh, so, this House of X, uh, I, oh, oh. I think I've read most of that, but it's been a while. You're just now catching up to it. So just that, you know, I have comiXology and there's a lot out there. And I, I often get on like a binge of I'm going to read a whole bunch of a certain writer or artist or a whole bunch of a certain genre. And because I have been doing a number of those things, uh, I, I don't always stay current or they don't even become available on comiXology until they're anthologized or whatever. So this Jonathan Hickman, one of my favorite writers, because he's so good at all that has gone before in the Marvel universe, and I think DC as well, but very Marvel is where I'm most familiar with his work. He's great at, yeah, like rarifying it, making it so that it really does hang together and and adding big concepts that are just they make you look at things in a new light. So this is, if you know the tortured history of the X-Men, they've had all kinds of alternate histories, alternate dimensions, star-spanning adventures, et cetera, et cetera. And to try to make sense of all that, you have to kind of like read them all and say, well, there's a couple gaps, but I really admire Chris Claremont's work and whoever has done those things. Oh uh, man, he's done a fantastic job with this about starting with where we are now and going like, you know, now and one year and uh, 10, 100 and way into the future and bringing in Apocalypse and bringing in Nimrod and bringing in like what there's automatically a human mutant uh, conflict and what's what out of um, natural selection, which one's going to win? Well, that's not how everything in the real world gets decided. What are we dealing with right now? It isn't who's bigger, faster, stronger nowadays. It's who's smarter, who uses technology more. And so there's going to be this sentence of AIs and man-machine inter interface a la cyborgs or whatever else it might be. And so what are they going to think about either humanity or mutant kind? They're going to be, wow, let's wipe out that, you know, carbon-based light form and go with beautiful silicon. And what are other, like, he, he did a great job of, here's the kinds of civilizations, the kinds of, like, galactic, you know, like, what is the Shi'ar like? What is the brood like? Why are they successful? Some of them are not an intelligent thing, but they're a very successful infestation, if you will. Others are, you know, they to, to think of machines that worship a god of machine intelligence, a very interesting, the technarch, the 
boy, I'm just, as I'm reading it, my mind is expanding and expanding because I thought I kind of knew this and I could have told you what matters in the X-Men universe. And he's just bringing in so many things that make sense, but also totally cool new directions. Yeah. A whole new retelling of Moira McTaggart and that she, her mutant, your mutation is, kind of, there's a long time ago, a book by maybe Frederick Paul or something called Orn that was a creature that phoenixes itself it comes back with all of its same memories and so you live 10 or 100 or a thousand lifetimes and you become quite aware of what's going on in the world and and successful in terms of continuing your existence kind of like highlander if you will but there's also that need to um hide the fact that you don't age because people will think you're a witch and burn you <laughs> and things like that so man i just it's such a it's a it's great at the micro level of human emotions and, and and but at the macro level of like what little butterfly effects happen here that expand outwards into this view of the future they're, they're fantastic Hickman's they're definitely i've written man wow <laughs> he, he's definitely um newer you know i mean he's newer than claremont and uh, you know kirby right. and stuff obviously the gods um but i i agree that he's slowly becoming more of a name he's going to be one of those that is talked about even more that you know as the classic history that this is oh it's hickman yes that's the good stuff you know that type of thing because yeah. i know I, I get a lot of my input from colin he'll oh i read this it's great we don't always agree but i'll right. at least say okay well colin thinks it's good let's check it out and hickman's been around a lot he's He's one of those guys that they've started. So what do you want to do next? <laughs> you know, Absolutely. because you're going to be successful. He had a great run on Fantastic Four and, and on Avengers that were the same thing. Like that's where they did um, the, the universe is collapsing. Universes yeah. are actually competing to stay alive. The Council of Reeds, all the Reed Richards, all the smartest people on each of their planets in their universes were getting together and like, how are we going to decide to how to stop this? And if we can't stop it, who lives and who dies? And like, what a, what a huge concept that it's not just automatically like survival. It's there really might be a reason that the universe has sense or makes doesn't make sense. And, and if you're the smartest person in the world and you can't solve that problem, how do you back away from that and say, well, what's the best I can do? And, you know, and, and Fantastic Four went away for a while after the big conclusion of that, because it turns out Franklin Richards, um, his son, has the ability to, to create, to bring whole universes into existence. Yeah. And so then they went exploring and creating universes and trying like, while this universe threatening uh, disaster was happening, the solution will be, you know, like they've often said, wow, that universe died. And then it all came out the black hole into this new one and created new, you know, I, 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 I apologize for people say much, have much better way of talking about that, about creation versus destruction and that kind of thing. But, and, and the adventures with the, the, the gardeners, the, the, that for all of our, um, why is humanity important for all that we've now met all these spacefaring species why, what is it about humanity that seems to be always there watching us? They're maybe trying to eliminate us. They're trying to deal with us. Like what, it, what's the spark in humanity that is so galactically significant and, and that maybe there's others that are like, well, we don't think that way. We think that you're an anomaly and that we're, you know what I mean? So like, they're just looking at us as an experiment, a battlefield, a, 
it's very cool. He deals with scale very well. You know what I mean? That for all of our arrogance about how we got a God, we got a God of thunder. Yeah, we got 10 of those over here. You know what I mean? And not only a thunder, we have a whole a quantum level. We've got quantum lightning. You know what I mean? He's, yeah. he's very good at that cool. What's really unique? What's wow. I'm just hats off to this guy, man. And it I once it. again shows that comics as a medium aren't kids. They're not jokey. They're not uh, lesser media. I mean, uh, yeah, there, there's people that used to probably not as much all movies and they it's dismissive because because broadway is better and the, but movies have evolved to where there's some very intense across the board yes you get the the cheech and chong comedy crap that's funny but you know it's like eating doritos right and you right. get the very intense stuff like uh the color purple or something or inception or the color exactly emotionally and scientifically and just the winner's list you know exactly you know momentum yeah. Like, and then you, oh. you get something like Endgame, which encompasses multiple things, because that was heroes saving the world, sacrificing to save the world. And people are like, well, it's superheroes. And they, they, but honestly, people got invested in those characters. When we left that theater, half my family was bawling their eyes out and yeah, they, they couldn't stunned. stop the, it. The, yeah, the big things that happened. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. I just so I'm, he's I'm one of those. Um, uh, we're probably going to go to the AG this year. You know, we've, we've missed a couple because of COVID complications. It looks like we're getting to the endemic stage. It looks like there's going to be a masking and a vaccination mandate at the AG and Sparks, you know, near Reno. Um, so I'm, I want to do a talk. And probably what I'm going to do is about comic book geography. I did that as one of the segments of what I taught at Baldwin Wallace. Um, where Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness is about to come out. Oh, and they're yes. going to just wonderfully expand we already saw this in the no way home spider-man movie that there's multiple incarnations and they might be able to different vibratory planes different dimensions whatever else it is interact with each other how does all that work and i you know already from the trailer you can see well there's about 10 different versions of dr strange and him saying well i did what i had to do and then it got out of hand and i kind of want to say boy what we just talked about comic books are so much bigger and cooler than people imagine it is so much not archie it is so much not little lotta they're talking about like the the alternative every time you make a choice you create another universe those universes is, is how they how do they interact when you have deja vu are you thinking of well that's what happened in another universe and i'm just one step ahead here or and, and sometimes corny but now when they're looking at things as, at a quantum level, I've read a number of scientific papers, and I hope that they're from reputable versus, you know, hey, science websites that are like, there really are, there's the best way to explain some of the stuff that we yeah. see is the 10 dimensional super string theory. There are multiple dimensions. And, and this literary portrayal of that, of the choices you make matter, but what if you could undo some of those choices? But what if there's ripple effects from that so that you can't just go back and kill Hitler? It might be that you create a worse world because you don't know the ripple effects. Right. So I'm just looking forward to what they do here. And, and, and I want to talk about that. Like, look at how what they've, how they've built up to this. Yeah, right? and like you said, <laughs> it's not what it used to be. Heck, even Archie got dark with Riverdale and the zombies and the apocalypse and stuff. Exactly. But exactly. people... <clears throat> I mean, if you haven't read a graphic novel, 
uh, there are some wonderful adult oriented ones just because it's got art in it doesn't make it a lesser medium or storytelling uh you know because the, the, there's such a variety out there and honestly we talk about how art can move us well then why do we look down upon it when it's connected with word bubbles <laughs> yeah, i'm sorry I, I i don't know that i have embraced like in a snooty way the idea of graphic novels um you know serial uh, you know one of the things i've always loved about comic books was the combination of that the graphics and the words and that your mind kind of like it 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 fills in the blanks you know there's lots of proof that says we don't live in the now we are continually making sense of what we just saw and extrapolating from that to have a prediction of the future so that comic books feel very like that to me that while i'm reading it i'm thinking what's going to happen next i'm going to turn the page oh did it turn out like i thought or not and the uh, the people that are really good at driving that crescendo forward to a very satisfying just like i expected but boy that's great or turn the page like oh i didn't see that coming both of those things are very satisfying because they're they're like jokes you know what i mean paraprosdokians that set you up to think a certain way and then take that left turn and that little bit of surprise that little bit of delight and humility at well I, you know, my supposed future seeing facility in this case in 20 words the guy fooled me how brilliant is that how efficient yeah. is that yeah. you know what i mean and so i've all i have i can't think of a time when i when i read a comic book that i didn't immediately really love that um not only the word balloons but the little descriptors and the parsimony of Here's a picture and it's describing what's going on in the picture, but it's also leading, you know, there's a, there's a science, Scott McCloud tells you all about it, understanding comics about how you do your pacing from panel to panel. And then yeah. some of those rules were broken by the Starankos of the world where things moved on the page and it actually the, the movement on the page was its own kind of swooping dynamic. And I just, it's cool to see in my lifetime how much that's gotten better and better. And in fact, to go back to Hickman for a minute, another way in which you characterize a Hickman book is, he creates glyphs and languages and yeah. his way of showing what's happening. His little, what has gone before is not just a dry block of text. It's like he creates this whole thing that there's a, a theme, a motif for how the stories are told. You know what I mean? That you can tell his work and I'm pretty sure it's him and not only the artist that's doing that. I'm pretty sure that he's got very specific things about what I want it to be is it has to look like a little bit of a computer readout, but then it, anyway, I just, right. he, he, he makes it of a piece. There's an entire creation here instead of only being six panels on a page and I'm going to work within that frame. You know what I mean? Wow. One wow. of my, my favorites is, um, the gunslinger series that they turned yeah. into comics graphic novels whatever you want right. term it yeah. uh jay lee did the art for it and every page looks like an oil painting and there there's some just big splash pages with very few words that just capture it so perfectly that yes. they don't need the words and I, I know king was involved with those and i just think they're fantastic something to definitely go look at if you're on the yeah. fence like i've not looked at comics this is a good example exactly the things you want to give somebody who's like not only not uh, on, he's on the fence but they're actually dismissive of it it's like look at how beautiful this is look at how evocative this is this isn't cartoony nothing this is art this is really perfect for the medium that it's in look at how they use color look at 
wow you know what i mean i i, I know there's there's certain um artists that i really like that that do that that they um jay lee is one of them i'm trying to think about frazetta you know i've always been a big frazetta yes, fan. Uh, yes. And, you know what i mean richard corbin that just they they leapt off the page you could see muscles sinew working and sweat and you know when someone would get punched it wouldn't just be bath it would be like you could see the face contorting under the force of the blow how how cool is it that someone takes the time to do that you know what i mean instead of just being a little bit of sketch and making it look good enough they 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 stipple everything so that it really i don't know man sometimes yeah. it's like well that's why they're not prolific because everything is a work of art you know Dave, <laughs> right it looks like this guy put a lot of i don't even know that i'm getting all of it i don't know that i'm understanding the detail and the illusions that he created with his collage overlapping type stuff so i kind of like well let's read through it and get the story and then i'll read through it again and say oh that was the signifier of the puppet or something yeah. like that you know what i mean and my friend reese uh, big comic books. We grew up talking comic books and stuff. He's an artist. Uh, he's a graphic designer by trade. He will, when he gets a new book, and he doesn't do as much anymore, unfortunately, but he gets a new book, he will look through it just looking at all the pictures before yeah. he even reads any of it. Reads the so. story, exactly. So. And, and different artists are really good with, like, some are very good at the big splash page, like you're saying. Some are good at character expressions. Instead of them being that all the women look alike and all the guys look alike except for slight differences in jaw and hair that instead they're really like when someone you know does a little look of chagrin look of surprise look of lust whatever else it might be to capture that in a little tiny head on a it's very cool that people have that and and like anatomy to make it so that the strain of a fight is really shown well instead of it being biff bam pow I'm Brian Hitch is great at that. Kevin Nolan is great. Keith Giffen. Are there certain people I just remember like, wow, this is different than what I've seen before. He's taking the time to really know the different face types and that, you know, I just, I, again, I want to show it to people saying, this is a step above. This is really worth acknowledging that someone's doing something in the medium that's better than other people have, that have gone before him. Are people even going to be able to match this? You know what I mean? I, I love that. I agree. And I think there's going to be some changes too to the comic world with, I, I mean, I know Colin denies it, but Amazon bought Comixology. They're shutting down the Comixology app, moving it into Kindle. They've, they've started offering more independent publishing of comics through KDP. I, I, and digital isn't constrained by the same things pages are. There are things you can do digitally that you can't necessarily do. So I, I'm just wondering how much that's going to be embraced and how much it might change comics over the next 10 years. Yeah, it, it I, I just I just had my experience of comicsology. Like I said, I went online, you know, out, out of coming back, taking care of everything here that I had to, and then just going online to, you know, hey, let's play Civilization as my little meditation. I've missed you so much. I didn't play for two weeks. What I, so I went in and I read, you know, my my Jim, uh, Jonathan Hickman, like I'm talking about. <laughs> One of the most satisfying things was I, I'm reading it like literally up until we started our podcast and I glanced down and it's like, you're only 43% done of whatever volume you've got. Oh my God, I have more than half still to go. I like, I was thinking I was on issue like five of six and I'm about to be sad. And instead there's still more greatness to come isn't that so cool like when you grab a book and you just you look up yeah. and it's like oh man i'm only halfway through plenty of adventure still to go you know right right <laughs> you know speaking of uh plenty of adventure 
Peacemaker. Oh my! Did you see the oh, end of it? Then? I watched it all. And that, I just watched all that last night. Like I've, I've been home since late Friday, um, but uh, and so have been catching up on various different things. And I think I was on episode five. I had come through episode five, so I watched six, seven, and eight. And very satisfying ending. You know that there's all the carnage you wanted, all the humor, all the oh my yes. god, can they do that on TV? You know what I mean? That kind of stuff. They they absolutely have like inhabited the characters that is uh, I, I don't know all the names uh you know whoever plays cena plays peacemaker but whoever plays vigilante is really good he's at being awesome. like he's he's crazy and yet socialized crazy and so you know it's just and um the threat was good with the butterflies and the carnage that had to happen in order to kill hundreds of people you had to have your sonic boom mask and you had to have your anti-grav mask and stuff this it's really well done in terms of building tension and then using humor to relieve a little bit of that tension, but then it goes right back into the crunch of it. And just it's and the, and the scene at the end again, uh, no, no spoilers like who shows up at the end supposedly to handle the menace? The, that the, was the hilarious. The JLA late to the party, and they even talk about that. Where were you, punks? Where yeah. are you already taking care of it, I'm it, my wounded? It was here, it you was know? the actors, Ezra and Momoa, at least. At least that exact. I think they had the shadowy Superman floating in the air yeah. and whatever else. But they just that those cameos were really good. You know, I'm I'm loving that that the world of movies and TV is more and more wonderfully interconnected. You know, we already had that with Shield and with the uh, the Marvel series. You know, um, I'm really loving that this was a really good eight episode arc. I'm looking forward to seeing what James Gunn does more. He's kind of like some of my favorites. You know, John Favreau really has a, a an understanding of what makes a superhero yes. thing right james gunn has that really wonderful irreverent sense of there really are galactic important things happening here but people also screw up all the time they're petty they're vulgar they're you know what i mean like yeah. when someone's trying it, to talk and they keep on making artificial farting noises as a way of dismissing them it's like it's so much five years old yeah yet, for the time for the for that scene it was just that's what they would do. When right. you're under incredible pressure, you get goofy. You know what I mean? You, and it didn't, I mean, you can't say that it broke this phenomenal new ground in storytelling or anything. It's like, yeah, you know they're going to win and save the world. Yeah, you know that this is going to happen. It's, there's parts of it that you know, but the way it's done and the kind of left turn over the top way they did it was made you go oh my gosh i love that and we were laughing you know getting into it and just loving every minute of it and exactly. you know cena was fantastic the whole cast uh, they worked well exactly. together and it's the suicide squad type of characters it's, it's not everybody exactly big that. and buff and you know no, uh, they're, they're kind of the also rans they're villains yeah. that caught. they weren't even a good enough villain to avoid capture you know yes. what i mean so <laughs> vigilante was my favorite i mean he's the geeky scrawny nerd he doesn't socialize well he, he's right. like oh oh we're not joking about that anymore you know he just doesn't exactly. get it he's just loaded with weapons and he's got his ninja skills if you will you know yeah. what i mean and like you said, of course, they're going to win. But boy, there were casualties. There was devastation of getting getting past, you know, hey, the world almost got taken over. You know what I mean? Right. It, it had to be a price, I guess. Um, they they There definitely were some times of like all the conventions of someone makes a threat and then the guy looks as if he's going to fulfill the threat and then backs down because he's a decent human being. Nope, not if you're a crazed killer, not if you're a sociopath. And so any number of times where it was like, wow, that was abrupt. 
was necessary. <laughs> and <laughs> it, it had, I, I mean, if I was, if somebody says, oh, superhero stuff, they're contrived. Uh, I don't care for those. It's like, stop a moment. Go watch Peacemaker and go watch The Boys because every episode of The Boys was like, I can't believe they just did that. And, you know, it's just, that. and so <laughs> those are the two that definitely go in different directions and take things yeah. in new ways. I haven't read enough about this, but I read some blip about at one point, uh, um, Peacemaker really disses Green Arrow. Yes. That there's, and, and from what I understand now, the actors are actually kind of going back and forth with, you know, who's the the wuss in these various different universes? Will those universes ever cross over? And it's kind of funny to see they really, like these are career-making characters, if you will, and yet there's going to be a rivalry. You know what I mean? Who is the the bigger vigilante, the bigger dispatcher of the bad guys? It's kind of funny. I'll have to look that up because I know that's what uh, Reynolds and Hugh Jackman have done. They they have that, okay. that rivalry through Twitter but they're right. best friends and they do it. Uh, yes. Picking on each other, making fun right. and making it very interested in everything. Too. Yeah. 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 So. You know, and so I'm wondering how, if they did, because I know I saw a thing on YouTube, Cena read some of his worst reviews for peacemaker <laughs> and he like made fun of them essentially. And, you okay. know, it was like, uh, you know, something about, you know, how stupid you are. He's like, yes. So we are, you know, it's just like, That's it, right. it's it a, was funny. And- it, as you know, uh, you know some people have the skip intro available. You know, through, uh, not not no. for the dance sequence. I watch the silly dance every single time. Every time, <laughs> exactly. I, I did did you did you tell me this last week? Who who choreographed that dance? It Alan was, Tudyk. Really, Alan I didn't know Tudyk. that. I just read that that apparently he's on set. He's married to one of the female leads, and that they were thinking about doing this Bollywood type thing. And he has skills in that regard. So he just started to say, well, we could do this. We could do this. You know, the little, you know, and, and the little. Oh my gosh. And so how wonderful, as you know, him and Nathan Fillion also have that like best bros, just kind of like Zach Braff. Why can't I think of the guy's name from, from Scrubs? And I, that I love seeing the way that Tudyk keeps kind of popping up in important ways on all kinds of other productions. How cool yeah, is that? I love that. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to uh, see if Colin even knew that. Right. Be my yeah, trivia. From, those were, from Alan Tudyk was the pilot on Firefly. From those listening at home, in case you didn't know, and and he's been many other things. He's one of those actors that has never been the lead, but he's always an interesting character that's in addition, a sidekick, a an yeah. nemesis to what's going on elsewise. So, so. so we're we're like approaching episode ninety of the podcast. So anybody listening that did not know who Alan Tudyk was, you need to go back and listen to more episodes. Uh, (laughs) That just should be a a common thing that we should not have to explain to you who Alan Tudyk is. Boy, one one day we're going to have to do that. Like here's, based on listening to our podcast, here's a quiz to see whether you are as Here's here's the knowledge you should make sure you know. You're going to be an alpha geek. You should know all of it. (laughs) So, okay, so you mentioned a book you've been reading lately, War of the Archon. What's what's that? So it's a a three-book series by a guy named R.S. Ford, and I I think it maybe is Robert, but R.S. Ford. And one of those I bought long ago because it looked interesting, nice pull quotes on the back a world where magic has gone away for a while and now it's back and so everybody's fighting over that resource, if you will. Um, very well written so that it's got probably six different sets of people that you care about. You know, the, um, and it, it um, 
does three chapters at a time pretty much to advance each of those different stories and then they intersect and then they break apart again and stuff like that and just they're they're well written so it's like i need to read more you know what i mean when i'm going to sleep and i'm not ready to go to sleep yet because i got to find out what happens here so i love discovering a new author that so i know that there's this three book series then apparently he has multiple other series like steel haven um where where as you know one of my favorite things out to Amazon we go, out to the used bookstores we go, and try to find things in reasonable condition for a reasonable price, so that if they've been out there for 10 years, there's no reason for me to pay full price. I like the treasure hunt, and right. so I just ordered the second one, because I bought the first one, and sometimes I don't buy the entire series, because I'm kind of becoming canny enough of, a couple, occasionally I bought a threesome, and it's like, oh, I don't want to read number two and three. This wasn't good enough. This is one of the ones that it passed the test of I want to read the rest. So A Demon in Silver is the first one. The next one called is called The Hangman's Tree. And I don't remember the third one because I didn't buy it, but it'll be in there soon. Um, high recommendation. If you've read a lot of sword and sorcery, magic, uh, um, th this kind of high fantasy type stuff, it holds up well. It's got just the right amount of violence and swearing and humor and believable characters and you know the the mercenary with a heart of gold but maybe not because he's actually done some terrible terrible things and maybe he's more on a, on a journey of redemption instead of he's always been a good guy he's done some crap and he's like am i really gonna like how do i want to be seen in history i need to do something to make up for the fact that i was involved in the slaughter of an entire village or something like that right very interesting complex characters instead of cardboard cutouts so who's the uh, author rs ford rs it's robert ford but that's these these are with those initials rs ford not not the old westerns robert ford <laughs> not that exactly and i ordered a couple more from uh, cadre he's the one that wrote the um um the guy went to hell and comes back james stark he's known as sandman slim and i think oh, there's yeah. 12 in that series and i read like the first three or four and i really devoured them and i said let's take a break don't don't make these less effective because you know you, you keep getting that same button pushed and and then when i realized hey after i finished this one i kind of want to return to that series and so i that's another one i'll be over the course of time picking up all the current 12 at whatever prices i can find and you know what i mean it's like i think i already have like six and seven but i didn't have five so i had to buy five maybe at more than my usual seven dollar a book because i got i gotta go forward right, <laughs> i got right. to know oh well so, so over the weekend, I like to go to the bookstores. So I found a bookstore in Cincinnati I'll recommend everybody. It's called The Manatee Project. It's actually a charity organization, and they focus on kids' books. And for every book bought, they donate a book for disadvantaged kids uh, to read. So I was like, well, I got to go check that out. And I bought a whole stack of books. Didn't really you know, necessarily want to buy all these books right now or, you know, whatever, but I'm like, Hey, they're You're donating. There. It's a good cause. Exactly. Yeah. So, so uh, I'll put a link to that yeah. uh, manatee project. Funny. I love doing this. You know, we have a chance to set out into the world. Wonderful things. I, I think, you know, Megan Warren, right? Yeah. You know, she's a, 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 a now a young lady from um, first up in uh, the upper peninsula of Michigan, if I remember correctly. Yeah, up, I think so. Right. And, and, and um, moved down to Columbus with, and she did a program called books for bedtime where she gathered donations of all different kinds of books. And then a lot of what you said, made sure that they got out to the various different schools so that everybody who wanted to have a book got one. And she's now, and I hope I'm not like 
hundreds of thousands. She's really done this wonderful thing of collecting them and dispersing them and won a number of awards for like she did all this when she was like early teens maybe yeah, even 13 10, 14 13 exactly now she's in college and, and you know got into the good school and that kind of stuff but one of the reasons she did is because you know this kid had a cool idea mom enabled her you know it was i'm sure it was in, uh yes i'll drive you around yes we'll drop books on and off that kind of stuff it's very cool to know someone that didn't just talk about it they actually did it and so successfully and like in that way made the world a better place everyone should read everyone should learn how to read to learn the delights of reading and she was a uh, he embraced a it linchpin in that so, yeah so congratulations to you maggie that's wonderful yeah we, we uh we call her plot twist uh you'll have to ask her why we call her plot twist it's okay. nothing to do I, with her I, book i see her exactly she'll probably be at the ag maybe i'm not sure you know hopefully that's when she's off summertime from school yeah I'm trying to remember where she's going but yeah, like I a nice know. liberal arts school and just that she uh hats off to her you got not only you know did this cool thing but of course had great grades and did all the right things so that she was able to get scholarships and stuff like that and from you know having a, a single mom and maybe that's sometimes a constraining factor instead it looks like her her life is on a very nice path so yeah absolutely thanks Shannon, okay Shannon for, okay before all we right. go i have trivia for you okay okay <laughs> What is a if I see if I pronounce this correctly circumzenithal arc? What is a circumzenithal arc? So circum and zenith mean like a rainbow that goes all the way around or something like that. Close, close, or, yes, good, good. Like maybe an aura in the sky around a light source, like when you see the light through frozen trees. It, anyway, it, it's an upside down rainbow interesting and i didn't even know that was a thing yeah how come that yeah that's interesting okay because you know it's just where the sun goes through the mist or the water droplets it's just the angle of it instead of being like you normally see it it's going the other way so there you go it's uh it it it, it's kind of funny i so i guess hey vocabulary time i have uh this my dad was great about this he regularly would like learn a new word and then quiz the kids with it so what is a fidibus? Fidibus. Fidibus, exactly. And I think it's spelled just like it sounds, F-I-D-I-B-U-S, maybe. Fidibus. <laughs> it's an ancient medieval weapon that you would wear on the heel of your shoe. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You know, in Balderdash, you'd be like, I, I'm like his. I like his. <laughs> from, from what I understand, it's a torch. But in particular, it's rolled up paper that you light, you know, so that it, it's meant to be that it will all be consumed, if you will. And and like that you light it up and then put it in a sconce or something like that. But it's particularly rolled up paper that you use as a torch. Wow. So OK, that's what you know, that's I don't know. There's so many words out there that like nobody really uses that word anymore. We're not really reading by torchlight or right. exploring <laughs> pyramids nowadays. Right. Yet, well, Boy Scout camp, we did stuff like that. So there you go. Exactly. Okay. Cool. Always a pleasure. Uh, uh, I hope that you, we don't, I mean, uh, I think we're supposed to get enough snowstorms coming this week, but in this world of, you know, I can do everything I want to from home, except uh, go out for a supply run to make sure we have, you know, milk and eggs, that kind of right. thing. Yep. Yep. Right. Yep. All right, man. Have a, a good week. Talk okay. to you later. You have been listening to the Relentless Geekery Podcast. 
come back next week and join Alan and Stephen's conversation on Geek Topics of the Week.